Hey guys, my name is Mike Claudio, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another episode of the Go Big to Give Big podcast. And we are here today with powerhouse coach Mike Claudio. Mike is the owner of WinRate Consulting, where he is a construction and home service growth expert. He spent the beginning part of his life excelling in the corporate world, but really found his niche when he started serving others with his natural gift to just see business differently. Mike is also the founder of the nonprofit A Champion Shoes, where they give away brand named shoes to kids in need. You will find out quickly in this episode why we are so excited to have Mike join us because there is so many incredible one-liners that blew us away all episode. Uh, a quick example and one that was my favorite uh, in the episode was he mentioned too many people negotiate their standards because of their loyalty to partners. It was powerful. And in the context he shared that you will listen and be blown away by how deep he goes into it and what it means. And you're also going to love hearing why and how Mike created his nonprofit. And it is apparent that this guy just loves doing good things for people. I guarantee you will leave this episode feeling fired up and inspired to go bigger and give bigger after hearing from our new friend, Mike Claudio. All right. We are excited to welcome our guest today, Mike Claudio, to the show, dude. Well, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you having me on. I'm, I'm super excited to have you here. It's one of the cool things about having a podcast or a show is sometimes you scroll social media and you see somebody that your content is just like, wow, that resonates with me. That's purposeful. That's meaningful. You do a little bit of a deep dive into the person. And it allows you to explore who you're actually like following and seeing. And I saw some of your stuff and I'm like, wow, this guy is literally like the definition of go big to give big. He is just blowing business up. And he's got a nonprofit on the back end that he's doing some really cool stuff with. So I'm excited to dive into this episode, pick your brain and start figuring out how you built everything and where the nonprofit came from and how it all ties together. But I would love to learn just to start with a bit about your journey. I've done a lot of research into you and I love just the fact that you went from you know, having a lot of success in corporate sales and then moving into the small business service where you're helping businesses blow up. And some stories along the way I want to touch on are just you know when you, you made that shift from corporate to going to your buddy's small business and having to have like an all-in mentality on just like, that is what I do. I'm going to blow this business up. So walk us through a bit of that journey and how you got to that point of serving small businesses now. I think a lot of people go through a journey of like being who they think they're supposed to be based on the definition of their parents or friends, successful dad or something. I'm, I'm a man, right? So I, you know, I looked at a lot of men and I didn't grow up a lot of around a lot of entrepreneurs. There was really only one I knew personally, and he ran an automotive repair shop and the dude was covered in oil all the time. I mean, I, you know, I believe he was successful, but like 
I'm like, nah, like I don't think that's what I want to do. Yeah. But I just I went to college like I was supposed to and failed out. I went to corporate America like I was supposed to and eventually got burnt out. And I always had a desire to work for a smaller company. Uh, my dad worked for, you know, he was a white collar guy, but in smaller business environments, more family run, you know, sub hundred employee type environments. And I don't know, I just always had a desire, you know, people would say I wanted to play a bigger role, right? And I'm like, yeah, you say that till you get it. And you're like, this ain't for me anymore. But ultimately, I made that transition out of corporate America out of a, I was, you know, I made over a hundred grand from the time I was 22 to the time I was 27. Nice. And I had the car, I had the house. What I didn't have was enjoyment. Like I was miserable. And so I had a buddy of mine who ran a remodeling company who was interested in growing and was really good on the construction side and needed help on the sales and marketing side. And that's what I was, I can help you, but I don't know how, but I'm done with this. And it was really, it was an eight month conversation of he wasn't really ready to hire somebody. And I wasn't sure I wanted to take a hundred thousand dollar pay cut to go work for him. But it got to the point where I was just so fed up being what everybody else wanted me to be that I was like, screw it. Let's go. Let's make it happen. And so worked for him for a couple of years. He saw growth, you know, the, for a number of reasons that opportunity ended, you know, so I always worked for people at a very high level, but I was always like number two, right? Number two, number three in the company. So then moved to a roofing company, had similar growth again for a number of reasons that opportunity ended. But in that journey, I got a lot of questions around how, what I was doing and how I was doing. And I was in BNIs and Nary's and a lot of these groups were on other business owners. And they just had a lot of questions around like, what would you do about this? And like, I didn't know what coaching was like now everybody's a freaking coach, right? At the time. And this was like 2015, 2016. I had never had a coach. I had never been around a coach. You know, the only business coaches I knew in BNI had like never even done like a hundred grand a year in <laughs> revenue. And I'm like, I didn't understand it. And so I started helping people because I love helping people. And I was answering questions. And in 20, I'll never forget in 2017, I helped three companies just by answering questions for them grow by over seven figures a piece. And I was like, I, I got to monetize this. Like, I'm good <laughs> at it. I enjoy it. A lot of monetary success on the end user side. I got to monetize this. So beginning of 2018, I created the LC, started taking on more clients intentionally for money. Yeah. At the beginning, it was like, I, again, no context around what coaching was or what it was valued at. And I was like, hey, I want to do, I want to help you with these things. What is that worth to you? Yeah. And, you know, they gave a price. I think my first client paid me $500 a month for three months. There's existing clients that are listening to this going like, screw that guy. <laughs> yeah. But I also wasn't as good as I am now at communicating yeah. the message and understanding how to have empathy and how to read the end user. Right. And so that journey did its thing. By the end of 2018, I had, you know, an influx of clients. Some things kind of went sideways with the roofing company. And I decided this was my opportunity. I viewed it as God's calling to push me out. Right. Because I wouldn't have willingly left that company. I was making several hundred thousand dollars a year at that point. I would have never willingly just walked away from that. But because some things went a certain way, and I think everything happens for a reason, it was my chance to give it a shot. That was 2019, went full time coach. Here we are going into 2023. It's been four years. We've grown 300% every year, and it's been a wild ride. You know, and just like anything, right? The multiplier effect. So if I look at where we are now, you know, I had three employees a year ago. Now I have 17, you know, massive growth this year going into next year and the numbers correlate. 
know, we yeah. should have a very good growth year again next year. You know, it's hard to maintain 300% growth. That's true. We already have more in revenue sold for 2023 than we did in 2022. Incredible, man. Well, congratulations. And we do do 12 month contracts. So yeah. like right now in contracts that we have sold for 2023, we will, I already have more revenue next year than I did this year. That's incredible, but man. I think that's the most concise way to sell that yeah. story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's there, but I, think I got a few request. things I want to dive into here. Yeah. I heard on a podcast that you were sharing, and uh, it was fascinating to me that the first business you went into, you took it from, I think it was like 300,000 a year is where it was up to like a million and a bit. And the guy was like, whoa, you blew this up too much. I actually don't want to go that big. I don't want to go that much further. And as a biz dev guy, you're like, that's my job. Like my job is to make this thing big. And that was one of your pivoting points in your life. How did that affect you? How did that shape your brain of just like, oh, there's people in this world that don't want to go big, but I wanted to go big. How did that shape how you're doing some of your consulting now and the attitude you've created? I think overall, it taught me that you can't rely on other people over time. And it took me a long time to really go all in on me. Like even leaving corporate America, I started shedding some of those. Well, this is what other people expect me to be. Or this is what other people's definition of success looks like. So I made the decision to leave corporate America. That was part of starting to shed the expectations of others. And then, you know, I had no entrepreneurial experience. And I got into this going like, this is the company I'm going to grow and I'm going to pass on to my children. Like that was my only context of having and growing a company. And when it when like, I don't want to say the rug got pulled out from out of me because I think it happened for a reason. I don't think him and I really jived when we got down into building something and our core values were definitely there was some gap there. So I think it happened for a reason. But in that moment of I'm never going to allow somebody else to control my outcome again. And yes, I went and took a job and there was a similar outcome in the it didn't go like I thought it would. But I think it made my ability to go all in on me with win rate at that point, as opposed to going and getting a job. I think that lesson that I learned going from the remodeling company and realizing that, like, I just have to own me. And like, I'm a I don't want to say I'm unemployable, but you better be a really strong leader to lead me. Like, you just got to be consistent. Yeah. You got to be concise. You got to operate by values. You got to operate with a big mission in mind. And so. I don't want to say I'm unemployable. I think those the two guys I worked for in the industry were at an unfair advantage because I'm sure I was a shitty employee. Like I'm sure I wasn't the best. I'm sure I asked a lot of questions. I'm sure I was annoying. I brought results, but there's probably some downside to that as well because of how driven I was of making an impact. And so I think what I learned by that first guy was as the business owner, you can pivot whenever you want. And for me... That hurt me in the moment, but it taught me a lesson that's allowed me now in my company some more freedom to make decisions based on my data, right? Because one of the downsides of business ownership, especially as you grow a company, is you have to start making decisions with less information, which means you have to be okay changing your mind. I didn't have that skill set. It was like, this is what I decided. I'm disciplined, so this is what we're going to do. But then in business, if you operate that way, you're always waiting on more information to make a decision. Now I'm able to just make fast decisions and analyze and adjust as more information becomes available because I have to make decisions with less information, right? That's So the lesson I learned was business owners can pivot whenever they want, downside in the moment, right? Shit, I just like, I did all this and now I'm losing it. Now what am I going to do? And I got to find somewhere to make money for my family. But in, in the big picture, I learned how valuable a CEO, especially as an entrepreneur in a small company, the power to change your mind is absolutely a superpower. And I don't judge 
either one of those guys for the decisions they made and the way things went. They did the best they could with the information they had and the experience that they had going into that. Did it hurt me in the moment? Yes. Did it teach me a lot? In the Because I wouldn't be coaching what I'm coaching now if I still was in corporate America. I'd be making one-tenth of the amount of money I'm making now, maybe less. But I would have been safe and I would have been doing what I was supposed to be doing. But realizing that a big part of entrepreneurship is the ability to change your mind with proper data. And as more information becomes available, being willing to change your mind with proper intent, with a desired outcome in mind, with that mission, vision, and core values to guide that decision change. It's not just like bad business owners. I'm sure we all know them just like sporadically change their mind based on how they feel that day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you make a decision quick so the business continue to move. And then as more information happens in, you you readjust your GPS, you readjust your destination, you readjust how fast you're going in what direction based on new information. And that's how you ultimately continually to analyze and adjust towards a desired outcome. Dude, I love that analogy of what we're talking about there. And I think, you know, that's truly one of Randy's greatest gifts is just the visionary aspect of things. And I think that's a great sign of any kind of good leadership, especially when it can be communicated to a team well. well and I want to kind of pivot the conversation a little bit. And I want to ask you about loyalty, okay. but not about like, how do you build it or like on that kind of stuff. I want to talk on the dark side of loyalty. What about... You know, you mentioned in this podcast alone, just that you love to help people. You want to help people. And I've heard on your own podcast, which is dope, by the way, everybody should go check that out. It's called Big Stud. I've heard on that one as well. You talk about partnerships and, and that they can be difficult in times. And, and oftentimes partnerships, I think, as you said it, are even more difficult than a marriage. And But there's a loyalty aspect in that. So on the dark side of this coin, when is loyalty enough? Like, when do you say enough is enough? All right. So my opinion is most people negotiate their standards for loyalty. And I think that's the mistake. Mm, wow. And I think that's where the gap starts to be created, where resentment starts to set in. And that's where loyalty turns into an expectation. But dude, I've been loyal to you. How could you do this to me? That's where I think the dark side of loyalty happens is when I'm loyal to everybody to a fault until you give me a reason not to. I love fast. That's one of my downsides. That's one of my threats. It's a risk for me. I love fast. I trust fast. I'm loyal fast. But I'm also very quick to cut you out. And that's a lesson I learned the hard way. And so how to cut people out or when to cut people out or when to adjust your level of loyalty and commitment to anything, people, missions, initiatives, organizations, nonprofits, like the minute that thing doesn't align with your core values, it has to go. Because once there's a little delta now, right, early in the conversation, if you're watching this on the video, if you're not, I'm making a triangle with my hands. At the beginning of that triangle in the corner, it's a small delta. Over time, that seed grows into something that creates a chasm, creates something that'll, that creates a gap, that creates this now I resent you for me being loyal to you, but whose fault was it that I was loyal to you was mine. And I don't actually resent you. I feel shame and guilt because I negotiated my standards for you. But the only thing that happened was is the core values didn't align. And you knew that and you saw it probably months or years ago. And you said, ah, oh, well, that's just them. Or I can, I'm okay with that little bit off for me. That's the negotiation. And that 1%, 1%, 1%, 1%, 1% separation from alignment turns into 
50% over time. And at some point, it becomes so distant that it's unreconcilable. And sometimes in a partnership, you're legally bound to that. And now you're stuck in business with somebody who over the course of three or four years wildly changed. And when I say change, I just mean they evolved in a different direction. That doesn't mean one person's wrong or bad. It just means they evolved in a different direction. And so at one point, your ships were aligned. You were on the same course. And then over time, that separation started happening. And you realize we're tied together. and We're trying to go in different directions. And when the tension on that rope tied between your ships gets to the point where shit starts breaking, then you start pointing fingers and blaming each other. But you knew, you saw separation happen three years ago, but it wasn't enough to put that rope at tension. And that rope of tension is going to be longer for different people. Some people have a longer leeway. Some people have a longer leash. Some people are willing to negotiate their standards all the way down to not even knowing who they are anymore. Mm-hmm. That's actually where I want to direct this conversation in my next you know, kind of follow-up is you know talk to the person who is currently negotiating their standards it might be in that relationship or in that partnership or maybe it's just you know their own relationship with themselves and they've just been negotiating on their standards maybe not like living up to the person that they believe that they want to be or can be or should be in five years time or ten years time or whatever it may be what does that individual have to do to then rebuild like maybe not rebuild but like build themselves back up to that point of you know being that individual that they know they can could and should be. I think the fastest way is to be very objective with yourself on what are my values and then reset those expectations with everybody around you. Not emotionally. Just be like, hey, man, like you're always late to our meetings. You know, that actually really kind of bothers me. I'd really appreciate if you'd prioritize and be on time for these meetings. And then the next time they're late, you don't let it slide. Because like for me, like, I have a set of core values I operate by. If you don't align my core values, I don't assume you're a bad person. You're just not speeding up my mission. You're slowing it down. I don't have time for that. And I think a lot of people put certain relationships above the mission. You have to put the mission as the number one priority, even against yourself. Because as a leader, whether you're a business owner or not, everybody in the world is influencing somebody as an influence, as a leader, as somebody who's has authority over some people it can become very difficult to have hard conversations because you're allowing your own emotional state to come above the mission. Nine times out of 10, those conversations never go as bad as you think they're going to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't even know you're thinking or feeling what you're thinking or feeling. And so they'll be like, oh my God, man, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm just really disorganized. And you say, cool, can I help you get better at this? Because what I want to see when I start to recorrect my standards and I start to recorrect people around me, Are you, as the person I'm trying to engage with, willing to evolve closer to what I'm expecting? Not overnight, but are you willing to make changes to prove to me you can become closer in alignment to my vision, mission, and core values? If you can't show evolution that I'm done with you because then I'm watering a seed that's not going to grow a tree that's going to bear fruit I want, and I'm not going to waste that water on a seed that's not going to get me what I want. So I don't care if it's the simplest thing. If I can't get you to show me you're willing to try to evolve to become in alignment, and I'm willing to try to evolve to come in alignment as well, 
then that relationship will never come back together. And the faster you assign and realize that, the faster you can get out of it, the faster you can create clarity in your life, the faster you can drop the anchors, and the faster you can start moving back in the direction you actually want to be moving in. Man, that is uh, it's just fire. Like anyone that was listening to that should just rewind back, start the whole podcast over again. Partnerships, Steve and I are a partnership. We have a lot of other partnerships. It is one of the most challenging things to do in business. And one of the things that we have found inside of our core values is that we do not want to do partnerships with someone that hasn't done the work, someone who hasn't found out about themselves. You sound like somebody who's put some time in the mental coaching, the personal development space to learn who you are, how you want to show up. I can tell just by the way you speak, the verbiage you use, and the answers you're giving, personal development is a huge component of your life. What have you done for personal development to allow you to think like this? Because Man, Mike, the way you're speaking is so brilliant in the coaching space, right? Allowing people to to operate not as themselves, but in a different manner and thinking differently. So I just love to hear the space that you've grown into from there. I mean, it's evolved over time in the approach. Like when I first was like, okay, I don't like just deciding what I don't want anymore was the first step. Most times I have found that if I say, what do you want? You can't answer it. But if I ask you, what do you not want? You can answer that, right? And so if you can teach somebody, myself specifically, to start making decisions away from what you don't want, you tend to get towards what you want. Like, I didn't want to be anxious anymore. I didn't want to be depressed anymore. I didn't want to drink alcohol as much anymore. I didn't want to watch porn as much anymore. I wanted to start getting away from some things. And so for me, it started when I was like ready to leave corporate America going like, oh, my God. This is everything I was told I was supposed to have. I was making 150 grand a year. I had the house, I had the car. And I'm saying right now, I'm going to go work for some dude for 55 grand a year. What am I doing? I don't know, but it feels right. So let's do it. And so it started with a decision to just say, I'm okay not knowing what's next, but knowing I have to move out of where I am. So that's where my journey started moving away from what I didn't want, not knowing what I wanted and saying to my wife and saying, hey, I will figure this out, I promise. And I've lived up to that for the last 10 years. And so that's where it started. And then it got into reading and podcasts and masterminds and business coaches and mindset coaches. And I'm 100% not self-made. Anybody who says they're not self-made and they've made money from somebody is completely devaluing their client base. I don't understand how people do that because somebody had to take a risk on you at some point to pay you money for something you had never actually done before. So you can't tell me you're self-made. Somebody paid you to do something. I don't like that, but I'm not self-made. I My wife has been a huge proponent of that, learning from her, you know, but mostly it started with the decision to make a move in order to not be where I was anymore. And that wasn't always successful. You know, I made that first decision like 2013 and I still was led into a suicidal episode in 2019. You know, it wasn't successful per se, but it was all a stepping stone towards getting to a point where learning what going all in on me looked like. And that's been a constant journey. I continually evolve as one of our core values. And I use it in the nonprofit. I use it in the for profit. I use it in my family. I use it with my friends. I use it with everybody. And for me, it's, I truly believe right now, today, I am the best I can be right now and tomorrow I'll be better. And that is not measurable sometimes. It is not dedicated towards a specific mission. You know, and I preach a lot to my clients about raising your floor 
more than raising your ceiling. Because if you can minimize how bad you can get, you can absolutely multiply how good you can be. That's really cool. I love And that. so like if you're drinking every day, well, go to six days a week. That's raising your floor. That's improvement. Yeah. Because you can't get to zero unless you get to six. And right. And so that. people try to go from zero to hundred. I actually made a post about this yesterday, I think. People go from zero. I'm, you know, I'm fat and out of shape. Let's go train for a marathon. No, you jackass. Let's go <laughs> walk 30 minutes every day. Yeah. Let's go walk 30 minutes three times a week. Let's go make a decision to never be this bad again. You know, at one point I was 330 pounds. You know, most people don't know that because that was pre a lot of what people know about me now. But like going from 330 to 230 was one good decision at a time. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go more than three days without working out. Right. And if you make all these decisions and you build on it over time. I'm not sure that was as concise of an answer as you were looking for, but that's been Beautiful, that's been man. my journey. That's been my journey. I'd love to spend um, just two minutes on the, you know, you consult a lot of businesses and stuff. And I want to just hear your take on something that you mentioned earlier. You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, you help people out by finding out what they don't want and that yep. allows them to get what they do want. As you work, and I say small business, just meaning not enterprise corporate type world, but I'll say small business owners in that context. When you work with small business owners, what's typically something you're hearing that they don't want and then the shift you're getting them of what they do want? So I think one of the biggest things, if I had to put a word on it, is most business owners believe their business is more fragile than it really is. So that might be, I don't want to go broke. I don't want to lose employees. I don't want to lose customers. I don't want my family to get like lose their house. It all comes back to, if I had to put a term on it, is like your business isn't as fragile as you think it is. And so from that perspective, it's, okay, what do we do to get you away from believing your business is fragile? Now, however you're defining that, is it cash flow? Is it clients? Is it employees? Is it whatever? What is it? What is making you believe your business is fragile? And let's start making decisions to get away from that. And that tends to make marriages better, relationship with your kids better, relationship with your business better, relationship with your clients better. Because when you feel like your business is fragile, you are committed to like helping anybody who thinks that you can get money from. And that's like the worst way to grow a business. And then you get stuck with bad clients and people that don't pay. And then it multiplies the negative effect of, you just not being committed to who is the ideal client, what services should we be doing, and actually minimizing your approach tends to multiply the results. Mm-hmm. Dude, I love it. I, uh, Mike, I'm really excited to ask this next question here, and it's uh, kind of pivoting towards our, our give big section of the podcast. And the little kid in me is trying to pop out a little bit, actually, to be honest. <laughs> and I'm just going to ask you straight up, dude, like, what does brand name shoes mean to you? So if you look at where it champions shoes and why we go with name brand shoes specifically is my mission in life is to build champions. I want people to build the championship version of their life. And a champion shoes is built, you know, not initially, but has built into and where the mission has really grown for me is turning into really an anti-bullying movement. Mm-hmm. Max has given away cool shoes. And look, I'm not against helping quantity of children, right? But I was more focused on the quality of the impact, right? Everybody knows if you don't have the right shoes and which shoes are the free ones and which shoes are the ones that are given away and which ones aren't. And most kids rather wear worn out shoes that don't fit than the needy kid shoes. And so we wanted to provide name brand shoes because my rule is if I wouldn't wear them, we're not shipping them. So 
I want kids to put these shoes on and because every pair of shoes we send out has a handwritten card in it. And we says, it says, Mike, we believe you are capable. Go be a champion. Because I've found that in these communities that we support, hope is one of the one of the most scarce resources. And so if I can get one kid to put that card in his bed, bathroom mirror, bedroom mirror, and wake up every day and say, I am capable of something. And those shoes are the first steps they take believing that they're capable. Because I don't think I am a firm believer, and I have yet to have somebody tell me anything that replicates or is in excess of the feeling of putting on a new pair of shoes. Nothing. No, I don't care how old you are and how stupid the shoes look. When you put on a new pair of shoes, you just feel different. It's like getting a haircut. You, there's nothing, I think, that replicates the feeling of a new pair of shoes. And, and with bullying being such a big part of childhood right now, Shoes should not be something kids are worried about. And unfortunately, the price of kids' shoes is skyrocketing. And if anybody who has kids know, your kids grow out of shoes every four months, and most of these families just can't afford it. And so we went with name brand shoes, particularly appreciating that they are more expensive, but more in the value of the impact it creates more than just saying we helped a lot of kids. That being said, we've still sent over 4,000 pairs of shoes in the last two years. It's incredible, man. And I love yeah. the personal touch with the note. And it almost like, to be honest, it almost kind of like an inspirational tear to my eye to hear the word hope from you. And I think it's a, it's a sense or it's a feeling or it's an emotion or it's an attachment piece I don't think a lot of people talk about. And I'm really curious to kind of like, it, it leads me to wonder, like coming, coming back to the beginning of this, you know, philanthropic journey, you know, was there a relationship between you and hope that was gapped at one point or was there like a desire for that piece or was there a moment in time as a child or, or were no I, I think that understanding of the lack of belief and hope i think came after the initiation of the mission and meeting some of these kids and talking to some of these organizations and better understanding the needs of our target audience there so it was not initially hope focused but realizing that, like, we take for granted the opportunities we have. I mean, son of a bitch, we're on podcasts right now. They're impacting thousands of people on $100 mics, on $1,000 computers with $1,000 cameras. And we're over here going like, man, I don't have anything to wear today. Right? And then meeting families that, like, physically sleep in the dirt. That kids have never had a new pair of shoes or a pair of shoes that fit right or beds. Right? And so... I volunteered at an organization in Charlotte called Beds for Kids, and I assisted in a delivery once. And you walk into a family with four or five kids without furniture, and you like, you change. If you have a heart at all, you change. And I think there's some people that that would prefer to not carry the impact of that, right? They, ah, you know, I'm, you know, that sucks, and they go back to their life. And I, I don't want to compare these two missions, but that changed me. Yeah. And so for the entirety of my marriage, my wife and I have been married for 10 years. At the end of every year, we always did what we call the balancing of our blessings. And early in our marriage, we were broke. So we just did a lot of volunteer time. And then we started writing checks and we started giving more regularly. And and so 2020, where a champion shoe started was we want to get our kids involved. At that point, they were four and two and now they're seven and four. And we said, like, we asked MJ, my oldest, like, what are you into right now? Like most kids is like the closest thing to their face. Like, I like my new shoes. 
And the whole concept started from, okay, I said, MJ, why don't why doesn't dad take $5,000? We'll go buy 100 pairs of shoes and give them to kids who can't get shoes on their own. And he was like, that'd be awesome. We get him the red ones. And it was like this great family <laughs> moment on this walk we were having. And I was driving home from the gym. I assume you're going to ask me where the, the, the organization started from. I was driving home from the gym one day. It was like October 2020. And I remember driving home. The trip from the gym to my house was like some of my best thinking time of like oh, the yeah. whole day. And so I remember driving home going like, I'm Mike Claudio. Why am I limiting this to 100 pairs in one year? And I got home and I Googled how to start a nonprofit in South Carolina. And I followed the steps. That's how the organization was created. Hell yeah, dude. I love and we that. launched officially Black Friday. You know, you know, this week, it'll be two years this week. We officially launched Black Friday 2020 in between. The goal originally was I was going to donate five grand and do 100 pairs. Turned into we raised over $40,000 and sent 500 pairs of shoes between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Easy. And look, we hand purchase, hand wrap, hand write, hand pack every pair of those shoes. And like we were literally wrapping our kids' gifts like Christmas Eve night because we had been wrapping shoes for four weeks straight, you know. And um, you know, so over the course of the last two years, I think we were looking at the numbers yesterday. You know, we're a little over four thousand pairs delivered. Um, we'll do another, you know, thousand to fifteen hundred for Christmas this year, which will put us, you know, I think at that like forty five hundred total mark. You know, and that's, that's kind of where it started. But like, the hope part of that and the impact part of that. It started as I wanted to take five grand and buy shoes. And then it's, it's turned so into a lot more because of what I've learned and some of the impact and some of the stories and families we've met because of the mission. So it didn't start as the hope. It turned into that over time. Everything you do is so simple, dude. You're like, it's just the next step. It was like, it's just five grand and go buy some shoes and then see what comes. And I absolutely love that. Um, I want to tie this back into business a little bit now because something we like to talk to our guests about is like, the giving factor is one of the driving factors to do more in life, right? You can have the fancy cars and the fancy houses, but you're not really driven to go get more fancy cars and get more fancy houses. You're actually driven to make impact. Like humans were all put on this earth to help and serve. So how has creating this charity and the missions for you to want to give back and going and giving those mattresses away and helping those people, how has that inspired you to build more and build a bigger business along the way with the thought that you can actually make more impact because of it. In fairness, I don't know if it changed me that much. Like even when I talked about the story of starting WinRate, I was helping people because I liked helping people. Like that's not a fake story. Like I truly yeah. just like helping people. And so I think what the money has done, because so my wife and I always had what I would consider an unhealthy relationship with money, as in too much was bad. And a bigger house was bad because with kids in Africa need the money. Why are we buying a bigger house? Right. I get it. But I, I, we heard a sermon at church one week where it was talking about how, you know, building a bigger ship allows you to carry more people. And so for me, it switched from how do I build a bigger boat? And then the people that get supported just happens because money multiplies values. We've heard that before, right? If you're a bad person, money makes you a better person. If you're a good person, makes you a better person, right? And so for me, because giving and helping was such a core part of who I am, the more the money has showed up, the more the impact has grown. So I don't know if it was an impact post-giving or getting to give, but you know, if we look at, I operate one conversation at a time. Like my goal is make an impact with every conversation I have. 
which is why I can focus on what's in front of me, which is why the podcasts are great. My interviews are great. And that's not a cocky thing. It's a responsibility. I'm a great communicator. And if I focus on every conversation and I continue to filter that back to my core values, like we talked about, I will become more impactful. What that looks like next year, I have no idea. But I'm going to win this decision. I'm going to win this conversation. I'm going to win this delivery of impact. If somebody listening right now is going to go take action, they wouldn't have otherwise. The indirect impact of my mission and the, you know, I use the term a lot, it's a cannonball splash in all directions. And you're only going to see the impact of what's directly in front of you. But there's 340 degrees of impact you're never going to see. That's what I focus on. I'm going to keep making cannon. I'm going to keep jumping into pools and cannonballing and the impact will just continue to happen. A statement I love to sum a lot of that up is one of my favorite quotes, but it's money doesn't expose you. It just shows who you really were. Yeah. Right? So many people make yeah. money and they're like, oh, you became an asshole once you got money. And it's like, no, that's just who you were. Money just exposed you. But I think chase impact and money will chase you. Chase money and the impact will never happen. Facts. I mean, like the more I've tried to help, the more money that keeps showing up. And the more I've get every year we've increased our tithe and every year we make more money. Like we're always like, how are we going to afford this? You know, we used to give $20 a week to the church. Now we give $400 a week to the church. You know, and that's just a fraction of the amount of money we give away. Dude, I think one of my favorite sentences or statements of this entire recording so far has been, building a bigger ship allows you to carry more people. I've never heard it before. Call me crazy, but maybe it's just the U.S. thing versus up here in Canada, but I don't know. That was incredible. The mission that you literally me, like threw your arms up like you just like was- wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I just got some new sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> some new sneakers from my mind. Where do you, I want to ask, like, I'm a sneaker geek, dude. Like, I love shoes. It's my thing too. But, you know, what's the long-term vision of this? Like, tell us a little bit about like maybe like do you have a BHAG, you know, big hairy audacious goal? Like, do you see this thing, like, just ultimately growing into being able to, like, put shoes on every kid's foot in America? Or, like, where do you see this thing as? Uh, Our goal with know, uh, impact a million kids was kind of the initial conversation. You know, and there's no, I, when I create goals like this, I never put timelines on them because I'm just going to work towards it till I get there. I think a lot of people unfairly put timelines on goals and then they stop short of it because the time ran out. Like, no, I'm just not going to stop till I get there. But ultimately, like, no. I'm going to raise money as fast as I can. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to help as many kids as I can. And the impact will happen. Like right now, it's just sustaining the mission. Because like, look, I don't know. People listen all the time. People are like, well, how much benefit does the nonprofit bring your foreign profit business? None. Zero. There's no value in owning a nonprofit and a for-profit business. There's no money funneling. There's no ability to save money on taxes. And running a nonprofit is time consuming as shit. And I don't make any money from it. You know, I probably put 500 hours this year towards a nonprofit I made $0 from. Like, I put more effort in my nonprofit than most people put into their for-profit business. And so the mission right now is to sustain because as the for-profit business is how I support my family, the time left over for the nonprofit has become less. And so we hired some people, we fired some people. And so right now it's sustaining the mission as more important than any mm-hmm. big, hairy, audacious goal right now. Yeah. Because I just think, like, if I can help another 3,000 kids next year, the indirect impact of that is immeasurable. Like, for me, I'm, like, only 3,000. But, like, 3,000 is probably as many kids are in anybody's, like, local community elementary schools, like, in the mm-hmm. whole school district. You know, like, it's still a lot of kids. And, no, it's we're nowhere near a million. But, like, that's still four to 5,000 families we impacted that we wouldn't have if we didn't try. Hell, yeah, man. I think it's so relatable. And I think that just, like, that indirect impact 
you can just you can connect the dots for you know the kid gets new shoes that impacts his social circle or his family and those people are impacted and it just goes on and on that ripple just you know that ripple from the cannonball just continues to grow but i want to transition a little bit before we jump into our rapid fire giving around i just want to ask you a question around one of your favorite moments of giving doesn't have to be the biggest check or the biggest shoe that you ever gave away but one that just like stands out the most in your heart so that we uh, support a small school in the hills of Kentucky. There's a, one of my clients' fathers has a relationship at this school, and that's, that's how I kind of got connected to them. And it was our first Christmas, the first one two years ago, and we got an order for a family, and there were six kids who were living in tents in the hills of Kentucky. And one of the daughters, a woman in high school, wears a men's 14 double wide shoe. And to think about the challenges that this woman deals with in general being that big. And I don't know if she was overweight. I don't know if she was skinny, but that's a big ass foot for anybody. And when like you can't find those shoes off the shelf, right? Yeah. And she had never owned a new pair of shoes her whole life. And I'm like, I remember sitting there in the store looking at this order list that we were picking that day. Cause we will like, we'll walk into like a rack room and buy like 200 pairs of shoes at a time. Like that's, we don't have a great relationship with a big shoe supplier yet. So I remember looking at this order going like, is this real? Like, is this a real order? Like female, like age 17, 14 double wide men's shoes. And I remember calling the guy and being like, is this a misprint? He goes, no, nah, that's what she wears. And we bought her five brand new pairs of shoes, different styles for different reasons. And you know, I, I never met the woman. I don't know if it mattered. I don't know if she appreciated it. I don't know if she got mad we picked the wrong colors. I don't know. But I can't imagine what a 17-year-old female with size 14 feet living in a tent in the hills of Kentucky is going to have to deal with in her life. Yeah. And I'll ne- like, I'll never forget. Like that's the story of hope. That's when you realize like this is real. Like this is a real situation right now. Like there's a family of six living in the hills and tents, and this 14 or 17 year old has size 14 shoes. The issues that woman's gonna have in her life are immeasurable. I can't possibly have empathy for it. I don't understand it. I can't understand it. Me we've sent her five, man. we've sent her five pairs of shoes every six months since. That's and nice. uh so that that's a that's one that'll never go away. That's that was so that first kind of like you said, like that awareness of hope. Like that was that first slap in the face. Like you privileged son of a bitch. <laughs> this is what people are dealing with out there. And like the impact we're making is worth it. So that's special, man. Well, that sets the tone perfectly to jump into our giving round. Rapid fire questions, quick answers. We're going to get some info out of you. This about give him. You ready? Yep. Awesome. Break on one charity that you like that isn't your own. Beds for Kids, that was one I supported a lot. And then Dream on 3 is another one in Charlotte that we like a lot. What would get you more excited? Donating a $1 million check or spending a week physically helping others? I'd say physically helping. I think the indirect takeaway of personally experiencing what other people deal with and getting that experience is immeasurable. Who inspires you with their giving? I don't have an answer for that. I've never thought about it. I don't really pay attention to what other people do. I kind of focus on my own shit. So me. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) The mirror. Yeah. Do you think entrepreneurs should start a giving component in their business from day one or after they have some money and have seen some success? I think impact driven maybe is more important than giving. 
right? Define giving, right? Sometimes giving information or giving time or giving resources is not money or stuff. But I think impact should be part of your mission statement or you're doing it for the wrong reasons because the money won't always be there. Business is hard. You better want to do it whether there's money or not. And I think not enough business owners focus on more than the money. What do you think of when you hear go big to give big? I mean, that's just building the championship version of yourself and being unapologetic about going all in on who you are and what you represent and the values you have and not being very violent in protecting that. You know, I'm, I don't punch people, but like I'm, I have zero tolerance for anybody trying to slow me down and that's not against them. That doesn't make them a bad person. It just makes them not for my ship. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give joy. Boy, great answer, man. Well, the, uh, the last question we've got for you in the giving round here, question I'm sure you've heard of before, may have been asked it somewhere in your life, but do you believe that money can buy you happiness? I think money is the vehicle that drives you to happiness. Explain that one. Without money, you're stuck behind not having it. Once you have it, then you have to decide and the money carries you in the direction of what you're capable of doing. You need money to do things and the money is not the happiness. It's the vehicle that brings the happiness. Absolutely, man. I love that. That is exactly how we believe it as well, man. It's money uh, just allows you to shop in the stores that you can go buy your happiness from. And that happiness could be uh, 500 sneakers for kids in need. So that's well, look, until you have money, you're working for money. Once you have money, you can work for impact. Like that's yeah. just the bottom line. Absolutely amazing, man. Look, Mike, that's all we got for you today, dude. That has been an incredible episode. I love your fire that you brought today. And just your attitude towards life is very inspiring. And I think a lot of people can model under it and learn from it. And I know you've got content everywhere. You're doing some incredible stuff in this world. So why don't you take one second and just brag on how people can find you, where they can get your content and just get more immersed in what you're creating. I mean, the easiest thing is just go to MikeClaudio.com. It's got links to the the nonprofits that link for the for-profits that link to all the content. It's got some stories about me and, and the family that I lead. And that's the easiest. You know, if you're into podcasts, the Big Stud Podcast, if you want to hop over there right now and find it. But MikeClaudio.com gets you connected to all the pertinent information on all the things that I'm up to. I can attest, guys, I went and I did some research and there is so much content out there. Mike is one of the guys <laughs> that is just like continuously putting out endless content. So all great in all different forms from short form to long form to written to anything you need. So you can get it there. So congratulations, dude, on becoming so omnipresent and in so many places. It was very easy to do research on you because you just have so much content out there. So thanks for making our job uh, <laughs> easy welcome. as well. And thank you for coming on the uh, the show and inspiring our guests to go bigger with their dreams and goals so they can give bigger with their profits. And I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation with you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.